And we're back for another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. I'm your host, Abby Mickey, and I am joined once again by my lovely team. I've got Lauren Rani. Lauren, how's it going? Pretty good. Um, I have to say, though, summer has officially left Belgium, which is kind of sad. But the good thing is I bought that um, the GCN race pass today. And so I'm all set for cycling content for the coming months. Yeah, the GCN race pass is pretty good, eh? I mean, it's got like everything like a lot of women's racing a lot of men's racing it's, and and listen yeah. and listen to the highlights people that's me <laughs> oh yeah and <laughs> i i also have to introduce my other my other co co-host co-person on this podcast that's yose bean yose you're back for your second episode which is probably going to become regular yeah it's, it's been a really fast promotion into becoming a guest to becoming a regular isn't it but it's it's great <laughs> We are a cool team. Yeah, we we just really need someone to pronounce the names properly. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I saw a lot of feedback on that that we should that we should do a how to pronounce this rider name segment on every podcast. So maybe think, people can just send in the riders that they need pronounced, and uh, we can we can have a look at it. Oh yeah, that would be awesome. One name I just can't do, and that's Elena Amelia. Amelia? Oh, it's so hard. I mean, lose it. It's just, it's just, I, yeah, that one. I just can't. Every time she's in a like in a voiceover that I have to do, I, I trip over it and have to go back and try again. It's just one of those names. It's just one of those names. Um. So yeah, we're back to talk about women's cycling, and we're coming at you like a little bit late. Usually, this comes out on a Monday. Today, it'll come out. This week, it'll come out on a Wednesday because we wanted to wait until um, the GP Plue was over. We had the first women's world tour race of the new calendar. Obviously we did have the Cadell's race, which was a year, years and years ago now. Um, <laughs> and between Strada. Yeah. So we had Strada recently, but it's been actually a couple weeks since Strada. The women had, the men have been racing like full gas and the women have had a little bit of a break where some of them have had team camps and some of them have been able to be home a little bit. And so now we're back to racing and I mean, man, we're like off, like off to the races. I could have come up with a lot better, <laughs> a lot better joke. Yeah. It's late. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we had, we had the national championships this weekend for a lot of countries. We had the European uh, TT championships followed by Plue, and then coming up on Thursday, so tomorrow, as of the the dropping of this podcast, we have the uh, European road race, and then on Saturday is La Course. So it's like boom, 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 boom in France, but like on different sides of France. That was really funny because well, we'll probably get to it a bit later, but I was I was driving home with Annemiek from Flota, and she taught me how she would pack her bags. Because she was um, she was flying off on Monday, she had to pack mm-hmm. for the European uh, Road Championships, for Plouay, for La Course, for an altitude camp in Italy, and then mm. for World Championships that she didn't even was sure of that it would actually take place or where or what it would look like in terms of uh, a course. Something that she had to pack for like five weeks away from home and for different types of races and, and training camps. So basically, the contents of her apartment in a few bags <laughs> yeah no just one actually and i i even uh yeah you, you probably have to make lists for that but it was uh i can't for one week let alone five it went from like being at home all the time to like <laughs> yeah going home from going to, to one race and coming back and then having to go go away for forever anyways anyways that. so it was funny we can kind of start with like 
the biggest news that we've got kind of on the women's side is not actually really news and and there's no firm uh statement on it yet the media hasn't covered it yet because it's not really been publicly announced like to the media waves yet but the ds of ccc said over the weekend ccc live said over the weekend on the dutch national broadcast that ccc live will still be a team next year so there's been a lot of speculation about that and we've said before that ccc live is a completely different entity than the men's ccc team and it looks like they will still be a team next year yose you are actually speaking dutch and so you actually understood (laughs) what he said (laughs) so what do you think of all this well, he said we have a team next year of about 10 riders. Um, mm. And it's it's going to be interesting because are they a world tour team? They are, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, so they keep the license, which is probably one of the reasons. And, you know, it has the same sponsor, but I have always been told as a commentator to always emphasize live. So I kind of think that the money comes from there. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to see whether and how the team is going to look like because the other piece of gossip already a few weeks ago is just leaving the team and i always understood that she was part of the management so how is that going to work out but these these are just two kind of loose things that happened you know a, a journalist in the netherlands who was kind of just tweeted one day the team and since then nothing really happened in terms of announcing his news so we're still in the dark about what is actually going to happen. Quite a few riders under contract for next year. And yeah, they have, um, well, they haven't got any according to Procycling Stats. So well, let's see what's, what, what that is all about. I guess yes. the question is, if uh, it does continue, will it be CCC? Yeah, because there's no money no. in that, in that so, store. Which means that someone else is going to step up. Um, but like you mentioned, a lot of good riders are leaving. Which brings me to the point that, you know, in the news at the moment, it's a lot of the men's transfers, but we're not hearing too, too much about the women just yet, are we? I can't really remember, apart from some contract extensions, yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot of contract extensions with FDJ especially, and and a couple other teams, and Bulls Dolmans has made some... Bigler? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Polyka, yeah, they've they've made some extensions and like Movistar picked up Emma no- Norsgaard for two years. So that so that was that's kind of interesting. And Zucchini um, to SD Works, that was pretty big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's huge. Yeah, that was an interesting move for me. I thought she really was staying with Canyon Tramble the long haul. Yeah, Ellen and Chikini, she's supposed to have five years, so yeah, quite a yeah. long time. She's been on she's been on Canyon Tram since the team started. Um before started. she was on Lotto yeah. Sudal. Yeah, and she's been on Canyon Tram since the very beginning of Canyon Tram. Um she's kind of part of that core group that makes up the team, along with like Hannah Barnes and Alexis Ryan and uh I guess Cash is newer to the team, but she has kind of integrated really, really well. Ami Lusik um Tiff. is another one. Tiff. Yeah, Tiff hasn't really been racing a ton, but I mean, we'll see her eventually, but yeah, the like OG squad. Um, so seeing Elena Cicchini move on to SD works for next year is really interesting. And I actually think it's a really good move for her because I think that she, she showed so much, I hate the word potential, but she showed so much potential like early on in her career. And I think she's still been right around the top, like 
she's so consistent as a rider and going to SD Works next year. She was fifth today. She was. She was fifth today at Plue, which we'll get to in a second. But yeah, she's she's just so consistent. And I think like being on a team like SD Works is they're really, really good at elevating riders. And like, for example, Yip Vandenboss, they've just made her better and better every year. She's gotten better and better every year yeah. under them. And you can see it go a different way. When a rider goes to a new team, it, it, can, it can go the opposite way. But it seems like on Bulls, it seems like people go up and also when you stay on a team too long you can become uh you can uh, too comfortable i don't know if that's the word but Mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't work for riders but however you look at someone like amanda spratt she spent her whole career on mitchell and scott um formerly green edge um and she's just gone from strength to strength to strength but yeah maybe it's a good time for eleanor to move on now the other transfer into as the works was Roxanne Fournier, which was uh, oh. a, yeah a bit more remarkable uh, for me because yeah she's been going Quiet. from team to team and is now on that Cheval Mer team and I I think she was part of the Dorada outfit that kind of disappeared and now reappeared and she made a bit season transfer and then now she signed for a year with with SD Works, which is the SD Works is a, is a, a job agency and they have mm-hmm. they have offices in many countries probably including France so. The way it works with these kind of things that they want a, a representative rider from from that country, so that might be yeah. a relationship there. Mm, indeed, yeah. Interesting. She's another one who a couple of years ago she was very very promising. Yeah, and well, yeah. I just remember hearing her name a lot for a while. She had a good lead out for um, a few years there, but I think yeah, I haven't really been following too closely. And I haven't really that much for a couple of years, to be honest. And that's yeah. exactly that's exactly true. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. exactly what happened. She she was with the French team for for quite a long time, the uh, Poitou Charente, and now the FDG team. That's basically the same. Went on to Movistar for a year, and then like that transfer to Chevalier in Belgium, and now SD Works, the, which is basically the top team in the world. It's um, yeah. It's, it's quite a way up. I think we'll see a lot more transfers as like the women's racing kind of gets more underway because we've got a bunch of racing coming up with the Giro and La Course and then the, the one days. If, if it all, if everything works out, there's a good amount of racing coming up for the women. Unfortunately, not as much as the men, but it's coronavirus. <laughs> um, so I think once we kind of get more into the season, quote unquote, we'll see a lot more transfers and the teams will kind of start to solidify in what they'll look like next year. Moving on, we had a lot of national championships happen over the weekend and a lot of them were live on the GCN race pass. They should sponsor us. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) a couple of them. So one of the ones that we were all three very excited about on our group chat was Audrey Cordon Rego, who won the French national championships solo. She went solo for um, about 4k to go and held, held it off. And that was a pretty amazing victory for her. She'd been second in the TT the day before by four seconds to Juliette Labus, who, um, the two of them also both raced the European TT on Monday. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that was an interesting win. And then Yose's new favorite rider new <laughs> or one of the riders that she's <laughs> highlighted recently mavi garcia won the tt and the road race in spain so doubled up which is great uh emma norsgaard won yeah she just completely like she won by like what four minutes or something the road race i can't but remember it, it, yeah it was an absolutely gruesome course with 500 altitude meters per lap 
Oh, oh my um, gosh. It was, yeah, it was 38 degrees. It was in the south of, of Spain, in Jaén, just, just north of Andalusia. So it was absolutely baking, scorching hot there. And the, the differences between the one, number one, Garcia, and the number 10 was like seven and a half minutes. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a battlefield. It so she terrible. went from that to Plouay, where it's pouring. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and still had a good ride. Yeah, yeah, she and, and uh, yeah, she and floated it really well in trying to. But that we'll get to that later. One yeah. object at a time. And then yeah, the the Den- Danish national championships, which I always find Denmark really interesting. I don't know if you guys also. It's like such a small country, but they have like so many incredible riders that come out of there. Um, Cecile Utrip Ludwig probably being one of the most. Uh, popular, but they also have Amelie Diedrichsen, who was the world champion uh, a couple of years ago. So the podium was Emma Norsgaard, uh, Julie Leth, who is a favorite human of mine, <laughs> and <laughs> Cecilia Utrecht-Ludwig was the podium in favorite Denmark. And, yeah, then, okay, yeah. <laughs> and then we favorite had the... Human. Also, I'm curious, Jose, if you know about this, but why wasn't the Italian national championships? Because they had the TT won by uh, Elisa Longo Borghini, but there was no road race. But I don't know. It was. It, I think. I think maybe it didn't fit in onto the calendar. The men had their road race, and the women didn't. Mm-hmm. And the men oh, had the time bizarre. trial, and the women had a time trial. But Italy is always a little bit weird. But the same goes on in Sweden. They have the national road race on the third of October. Oh, weird. Yeah, and in Belgium yeah. as well, I believe. Yeah, they just had the time trials. Yeah, they have the national championships in the week of the world championships. Kind of guessing early on that the world championships were no go. Mm. So they have that like on Tuesday after the Tour de France, the nationals. Okay. Interesting. Well, there you go. It's all over the place. The the More other fun. Like, <laughs> the other really exciting national championships that happened was the Dutch national championships won by Anna van der Breggen. Do you want to say it properly, Jose? That was pretty good. I know it's like Brechen. <laughs> it, like it's not Brechen. Anna van der Brechen. Brechen. Yeah, Anna van der Brechen. Yeah. So she won national championships for the first time in her career, which is just amazing. But it was a really, Crazy. really exciting course and race. The The race was so exciting. And you were there. So I want to hear your first hand yeah. experience, please. It was wet. <laughs> It was so, it was, oh, it's always horrible. I've I've been involved in a youth racing event for 10 years now in that same part of the country. And basically when the entire country is dry, it rains there. I don't know what it is, but it, it it's probably, you know, the hill. No, it's not the hill. It's 48 meters. But, <laughs> but it, it's, it was like, everybody was saying like, yeah, it probably passes by. It's like, no, it will not. And then like five minutes or 10 minutes before the start, it really came down. And, I had to make pictures and I, I had to run back to the car and I was driving along with Lisbeth de Vocht, um, the um, Belgian sports director of Lotte Schudel, because she was in, alone in the car. And so I just like six or seven laps I drove with her because it was just raining so, so hard. And that course is super, super technical. Yeah. So it was like a little layer of, of, of water on that, on, on those, like this descent. That was pretty dangerous. And there was hardly any crashing luckily because the peloton was really small only 60 riders only uh, riders who have a, have a pro contract were allowed to start there so not the uh, elite without a contract so oh. the peloton was really really small and uh well the race was it was, it was just for the best of the country you know there were some young riders there as well who really really struggled because this was so incredibly hard and if you see for example the watts of Mathieu van der Poel who had a normalized power of almost 400 for like what was it five hours oh four and a God. half hours 
it was it was crazy hard. So the best riders were were up there as uh, as you should expect for national championships. And Anna mm. van der Breggen played it really well with Jip van der Bos. Jip van der Bos was actually her teammate and who attacked first. And then Anna van der Breggen took former national champion Anuska Koster across and she totally wore out Koster because Koster had to chase Jip van der Bos and Anna van der Breggen just sat on. And the attack by Van Vleuten, the counterattack, came just a little bit late and she, she asked Marianne Vos, like, are we going to do something? And Vos said, yeah, sure. But by then the gap was two and a half minutes and CCC had seven riders in that group and they, they just left it too late, mm-hmm. just too late. And then it was half a minute between Van der Breggen and Van Vleuten and... Well, I was watching both of them on final uh, ascent of the Vanberg, you know, that, that cobbled part that we also have in the Ronde van Drenthe. And I was looking at both of them and I said, yeah, Anna van der Berg is better today, simply. And she was. I was just going to say, you did mention when we were chatting on group that uh, Annie come from altitude just recently. Because you yeah. saw today even, which we'll get into in Plue, that she's not, and Danny Rowe actually commented on this, she's not like where she was a few weeks ago because she's just come off such a training block. Yeah, she she's, down. yeah. she's been working in uh, in Livigno, a place that she often visits. The owners are basically friends now. She did, uh, well, mountain biking, road racing. And she came back on, I think, uh, Saturday. Or no, yeah. fr- Friday. Yeah. And the championships were on Saturday. That's so a quick turnover. Then, yeah, and a long journey. It's like yes. 13, 13 hour drive, something like that from Italy. So, yeah, that that won't help. But she was looking pretty solid for most of the national championships, though. But in the end, like it always happens with Van Vleuten when it comes to Bulls Dormans, if she attacks, everybody yeah. counters her. And if She's she would alone. Have attacked, yeah, she would have attacked with Bulls Dormans and they would not have continued their attack. They yeah. always, always race against her as a team. And she's always well, alone. They have to. I mean, that's racing, right? And, yeah, unfortunately, she's in pretty much an Australian-dominated team, so she's usually on her own, actually. I think pretty much all the championships, except for when she was really with Rabobank. Yeah, she has Monique Tenaglo on Mitchelton Scott, of course, but she she asked Tenaglo if she wanted to race, and there was I, I don't know the exact story anymore, but they, they kind of can discussed whether Tenaglo would do the nationals and and kind they kind of agreed that it was not necessary that she would do that mm-hmm. yeah and there was i mean another rider notably that sat out the national championships was ellen van dyke um ellen van dyke who has won up to this year every european tt that they've had for the women which is four so not really but it sounds more <laughs> impressive on the lives on the live stream when they're like she's been the european itt champion since the race began um but yeah she didn't she opted out of racing the national championships which left lucinda brand alone um but lucinda brand wasn't wasn't really up amongst it as much as truck segafredo's fans maybe would love to see but i mean anna van der Bregen was amazing it was I, it was such an awesome race to watch i mean the dutch are so good at bike racing and when you put them all into a bike race like just the dutch i don't know it was fascinating i've never watched a dutch national championship before but it was i really enjoyed this one and the course was fantastic it's there's a place in in in, in the netherlands where i'm from the east and they, well, I wrote a piece on cycling tips, how they organize this, because the rules in, in this COVID times are pretty strict. And it was such a striking difference to the championships that I saw in Italy, France and Spain, where so many people were, were lining the roads. Like 
one, two, three lines thick. And at the Dutch Championships, only like 300 people were allowed to be there. Mm, yeah, it was it was such a staggering difference. But it was it was like with the constraints of the rules that the Dutch had in place to put on this race, the course was actually awesome. So if anybody knows women's racing or men's racing, there's also a, a Ronda Vendrenta. But for women's racing, Ronda Vendrenta is kind of one of the longer running women's races on the calendar and is just a brutal race up and in the in the north. And the the cobbles are terrible. I've done this race like three times and I hated it every single time. Well, I know you crash there so uh, yeah, yeah. There, was, there was something with a camera i think <laughs> probably um and the climb in the race is actually a garbage a, a garbage dump that they've covered in grass and made a road over interestingly it's just a, such an amazing bike park they now have like a top-notch mountain bike circuit as well and you can do it from three sides including that that cobbled part and it goes up to like 20 percent it's it's ridiculous and there was this this climb then a small descent and then back up and at least with the former belgian champion she said this is the hardest thing if you have a longer climb it's easier than having those two short climbs Oh yeah, because yeah, you have like one effort and then you have a descent, so you recover and then it's like flat for a little bit, yeah. but not long enough to to feel good again. And then you have to go up this steep climb again. So it's just absolutely brutal. It's like my favorite efforts and Lauren's least favorite efforts, 40, 20s, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like on, off, on, off, on, off. Yeah. And then like 16 women finished the race. Uh, also because, of course, you have to take out some, some riders early because it's only a seven-kilometer lap and you don't want uh, the, the last riders to be hampering the first. But only 17 or 16 finished the race. Which just goes to show how hard that's, that circuit was. And like we mentioned in the podcast before, circuit racing is really difficult, um, particularly when there's a hill in it like this. But the fact that... It was only seven kilometers long, the course. Mm. Next year, yeah. we're going to do it again, uh, the Nationals, hopefully at the end of June. And then they have the original 13-kilometer loop with some more wide roads where riders can catch back on. But this, this course was just so short that once you were dropped or, like, had a flat tire, you're it, out. You were out. You were just yeah. out. There was no way of coming back. Yeah. It was an yeah. awesome race, though. It was. It was, it was a really and, awesome race. And it was so great to see bike racing again after six months. Live, live oh, bike yeah. racing. To actually be there on the sideline. Yeah. yeah. And so you also, Yose, rode in, drove, you drove um, Annemiek <laughs> Van Vluten to the race. And so you got this incredible interview with her that is on Cycling Tips, if anyone wants to go read it. But before we kind of move on to Plue and the Europeans, I wanted to get like a little bit of a rundown from you about chatting with Annemiek van Vluten and kind of getting to know her beyond just this dominant figure in women's racing. Yeah, I, I had my preconceptions. I, I thought she was a maniac. I thought she was completely mono about her racing, but she's actually a lover of life and she enjoys everything that she does and is, is really loyal in her friendships and helps out her neighbors and she kind of just said, okay, we have a win-win situation. I have to go to the championships and you want an interview, so let's drive together. So I kind of picked her up and put all the bikes in the car and and, and we had a lovely ride. And I learned something from her and she learned stuff from me. And it was just as if we were two friends. And she, she really opened up to me, um, which I find a real big compliment if people do that to me as a journalist, because 
I don't want to ask the standard questions. I wanted to know who is she and why is she so good at mm. age 37? And one of the funniest things she told me is like, most journalists always ask her, when are you going to quit? And then she asks, do you think I should quit? <laughs> and I think, I think that's just the most brilliant answer. Just to, do you think I should quit? <laughs> oh, okay. And I didn't ask that because she says I'm at 37 and she was, she was like reviewing her values from the race. And she was like, like really happy, like childlike happy that she improved on her previous best ever on a five minute effort on that race. So she said, I still get better and everything that I put into it still works. And as long as it still works, she will keep continuing doing it. And mm. even if it doesn't work anymore, she says, I'm, I'm totally fine with doing coffee rides on a Sunday morning. She's just, she's just, as a racer, she's very focused. And I saw that at the national championships. Once she's get into race mode, there's no casual chatting anymore. You know, she's, she's ready to race. She's focused. She is, she's, she knows what she has to do. And it's also very, like, I think most top athletes controlling, like, I need to have this and this under control and I have to prepare this. But outside of the races, she's just really nice. And I had my preconceptions that were completely proven wrong. And I hope that people who read this article are also proved wrong that she's not only living for cycling and completely a maniac about her food or her her racing but that she actually loves life and loves the experience that she's that that she gets to have by going to Colombia or like racing around the world it was an eye-opener for me like just get to know people before you judge them for sure and I think for mm. Van Vluten especially it's really easy to watch her racing and I mean I'm I'm uh, definitely guilty of it watching her dominate and be like kind of disgruntled by it but I mean yeah it, it's the it's like we kind of talked about in the last episode about how <laughs> the women's peloton is so unknown and we only see these snippets so the fact that you got to talk to her and you got to kind of pick up this this whole other side of her I mean I really loved loved your article if anyone hasn't read it you should definitely go read it thanks <laughs> I think many <laughs> I think many people did. My Twitter has been beeping nonstop today. And she she endorsed it and she she forwarded some reactions from her neighbors, for example, to me on WhatsApp, what, what her neighbors thought of the interview. So I thought that was kind of sweet. I mean, I think she, she gets a lot of, uh, she gets like pretty pigeonholed into being this uber-focused cyclist already. And not many people really actually know much about her. So... Yeah, it, it's nice to have another view, for sure. Mitchell and Scott did that series of videos on her and it was very just focused, I believe, just on the athlete in those videos. And even the commentary they got from the men, I still distinctly remember someone, I think it was Jack Haig, saying, like, and I took offence to it, but he basically said, yeah, well, he was just saying and she all she has is the bike but having been teammates for her I know that the very first time I met her was at team camp and she actually came to Australia earlier so she could go off and do some crazy traveling um <laughs> I think she raced that crocodile cup in the northern territory or something like that and then she came to camp and she's super adventurous and like you said I liked how you said that childlike um enthusiasm enthusiasm yes, which which, which found, I just love yeah, about her and she found that a huge compliment that I that that was my conclusion 
Um, so yeah, I, it's it's such a great thing to have these one-on-one conversations with women you admire for what they do. But what I wanted to do is just show who they are and what makes them tick. And this interview worked out perfectly. And I was so happy when I just clicked off the recorder and we continued our drive up north and 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 talked about many other things. And just the, the one and a half hour just flew by. And um, and she was also lovely. She was part of our team of the Next G on the 23 racing team. And these girls, of course, they had never raced with the World Championship. But the way it works, Nationals, she was alone, so she didn't have a support car. So she asks other teams if her bike can be on the roof and if, if they can offer assistance. And no other teams could because they had other priorities, you know, Bulls or CCC. They have their own team leaders. So our team is pretty small. And our team director said, yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and for our girls, that was also an interesting thing to see how she prepares for a race. And she was also sharing that knowledge. And it was it was all pretty nice. I think it's it's pretty cool how you got to see her flip the switch. She's yeah. very casual. And, that, exactly um, that. But then yeah. she can be completely savage yeah. and know like in the race savage, but just very direct, like I need this now Yeah. yeah. and I'm going to take this one hour before the race and it's yeah. very I think that is methodical. That is, but that is all, that, that's what people mostly see, that she is has this controlling behaviour towards a race or in the race, that she wants to have everything under control. And they might find that a bit like, okay, she's, she's just a bit maniac, maniac about her job. But before that moment, before that switch moment, as you put it so aptly, she's a totally different person. And I, mm. I, think, I think most top athletes are. You can't just go chat around like five minutes before the race. You have to be focused. Oh, definitely. No, and I know myself that like when I was really casual before the start of the race, it was because I was so nervous inside. Yeah. It was my way of like releasing that energy. And it, it generally would calm a lot of people down around me, but it probably wasn't. The, the best thing to do and maybe some people some yeah yes yeah perceived that I wasn't taking it seriously but it was a coping mechanism um whereas yeah you won't see really like the likes of Lizzie Dugan and that laughing on the start line that was the exact same thing that I had in my career Lauren is like <laughs> I got I got so nervous that the only thing I could do was make jokes yes and then I got yelled at by the directors like multiple on multiple teams for not being serious enough and I was like look well, if I Mickey, if, pay attention yeah just imagine how Ronnie Lorker probably felt with my sense of humor on the start line yeah that probably yeah. went over really well it didn't, didn't go so well maybe I wasn't the best professional athlete in the end you're really you're good still, at still a chatting person. with us ah thank you <laughs> yeah no that's the other thing about about these so lauren and i have talked about this before but another thing about these pieces that you're doing you say about seeing the the person behind the rider is that i think a lot of times like cyclists athletes in general any athlete any professional athlete gets so like so blinders on about being a professional athlete that they feel like at a certain point that everyone's only there because they're a professional athlete and they have nothing else. And then when they retire, like there's just so much proof of depression and all of that. And I think like the more that we talk about who these riders are as people, the better, the better for them and the better for us. And it the, just the better All of everything's better. All the there's, better. Uh, there's many, many more to come if it's up to me. Yes. Wow. Good. Looking forward to it. Audrey Cordon-Rego, amongst others, next week. So, 
looking forward to that. It will probably be around um, the Giro. Oh, cool. That'll be great. So the next race that we kind of had that is... I mean, the national championships is the national championships. And then next we had the European individual time trial, which doesn't include obviously, um, anyone but Europeans, but was a very interesting race in and of itself. Uh, Ellen Van Dyke was one of the favorites, uh, going into the race and obviously got second. So rightly so, but it was won by Anna van der Breggen, uh, new Dutch national champion. And it was, it was kind of a really awesome race. I mean, as far as TTs go, uh, TTs aren't very exciting, but this one nah. was. <laughs> well, the, funny thing, the great thing about Van der Breggen is I looked it up. She was second at the world championships four times, mm-hmm. including the last three years in a row. She's been the third and second at the European championships at the Dutch national championship. The only title she had in time trials was five years ago at the Dutch championships. She always went against Ellen van Dijk or Annemiek van Vleuten. So mm. it's, it's like this is her final year. And she's like, okay, I don't have a Dutch national title. Mm, fix that. I don't have a European time trial title. Yeah, fix that. So it's like she's like ticking off some boxes and, and, and also showing the competition that she's not half into retirement just yet. That she's full on racing until the final day on the bike. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was an impressive ride. And the fact that she pulled this off right after her national title has just got to be fueling her her momentum so much going into the rest of the racing. And I mean, I'm a huge fan of her. So personally, it was really exciting to see. And then also Ellen Van Dyke, who is coming back from a pretty horrendous crash at the end of last year um, mm-hmm. for her to get second was really awesome, too. And then. I mean, do we want to talk about the third place? Well, uh, I but I didn't really think that was a sympathetic third place by Marlene Royce. No, I, we were all texting each other during the race that there was some, there was a little bit too much closeness going on with the riding between Anna van der Bregen and, and Marlene Royce Royser, Rouser, Rios. Yeah. yeah okay, great. Great. No worries. <laughs> Did it right the first time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yourself. it was really weird because Anna van der Bregen passed her and then she early on, like in the first like eight or nine kilometers already really early on. Yeah. And then and then Royster kind of stuck with her the entire race and at the end passed her again, which is just in like, the final kilometer why? overtook her again. So... Like, yeah. Go away. <laughs> yeah. And Lisa Brenauer was fourth by only 15 seconds. And for me, like if I was. If I was Lisa Brenauer, I would have been really upset about about that. But the the results stood. Marlon Royster got sec got third. Nobody said anything that we know of. And was it appealed? No. We no. Can, we I can don't grumble so. on this podcast because we're allowed to have opinions. <laughs> yeah, but mm, it was totally totally not done what she did. It I was, mean, it, it was pretty yeah. obvious. Like it, it wasn't like we we're not just like saying this because we feel like it. Like it, if you go back and watch it, it was pretty blatant that she was she was a little bit too close. And even on the live stream that was commentate being commentated on by Adam Blythe, he said something as well. So. Yeah, and you know Lisa Brenauer, who was like fourth, she raced her national championships the day before. Mm-hmm. Plouet. And it was a really weird championships in Germany. They did it on a three and a half kilometer uh, <laughs> long re- race course, flat as a pancake. And then the 98 kilometers, so that's like 
30 laps, 28 laps, something like that. And just round and round and round and round and round. And then she kind of like the finish was in, in the afternoon. And then she flew to Blouet, which is like all the way in the west of France. It's like so ridiculously far away. I wonder if you get dizzy riding a circuit like that. that <laughs> well, we have, we have crit races here in the Netherlands that my dad, back when he was racing, and it was like 40 years ago or something, 50 years ago, maybe even, they had crit races that was like 1.2 kilometers around the church. Hmm. It's like four four corners and and then back again. We used to do parking lot crits. Those were the worst. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, Walmart crits. Just There's like an four atrocious cones set up in a, hmm. Back in Australia, I don't know if you ever did at the Bay Crits, Abby. Oh and no, but I really the want to. First one, it was like a 600 meter course in a parking lot. Oops. Never mind. I don't <laughs> want to Australian anymore. Australian listening to this knows what I'm talking about, and it is the first race of the year on January one, and it's horrendous. <laughs> mm, horrendous. <laughs> oh, horrible. It's terrible. Anyway, so that was the TT. Followed the next day, Tuesday, yesterday, by the GP de Plouay Lorient Aglum guy. No, it's a, yeah. I. When I did the highlights for GCN, because, um, well, they, they pay me. They don't pay you for all the advertising, but they do pay me. Uh, I, 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 I studied French, but I just, like, skipped it. Because if I had to say, like, Lorient Agglomération, I was like, that's not going to happen. I just, like, Lorient, that's it. Fine. It's always been GP Plouet. We can just leave it there. Yeah, Lorient is the is the big city, uh, a little bit to the south of Plouet, and then Cirat is of course like the main sponsor also of the women's team. Mm-hmm. So it was quite a, it was quite a long name, but I just kind of skipped it because you know just like Amia Music, I was I was bound to struggle with that. <laughs> yeah, so we had we had the GP de Plouet yesterday, and it was a really exciting race. This year they had a new course. It's been pretty much the same course for a while and this year they switched it up with one big 40 kilometer loop followed by smaller 13.6 kilometer loops that had three climbs in it one that had 19 percent gradient in the climb and the other two had up to nine percent so not little climbs and it and before the race, I actually got a little bit of insight from French national champion, newly crowned French national champion, Audrey cordon Rigaud. Although she didn't race because she's focusing on the European championships, she did the time trial already and she will be doing the road race tomorrow. She still had a lot of thoughts on the Plouet course as it's a race that's very near and dear to her heart. So let's hear what Audrey had to say. Hey, Abby. So, uh, where can I start? Yeah, uh, Grand Prix de Plouet. Uh, actually, they changed completely the um, the format because now they're gonna have four kilo, forty kilometers, sorry, of um, before the before the final loop. So, I think it's gonna really change the way. Uh, the girls gonna race um, because it's you know it's always been quite the same race for years and years because we were doing always the same lap waiting always for the same climbs and everything so now I think they're gonna that probably the race gonna be more hectic and more um, aggressive um, plus there is a really hard climb before coming up in the last loop which is really really hard actually and I think it can really dynamite the race already there because yeah you know it's it's gonna be also a short race and yeah if the girls 
uh, the girls who know that they can't really attack in the final, they have to go before, they have to try something before. And it could be actually a good breakaway going to the end. Um, yeah, I, I can see that also because, yeah, you know, the, the bunch is not going to be complete with the, the Euros happening some days later. So, yeah, it could be a really um, surprising winner, actually. And the final loop, about the final loop, what's really um, also different is that we do the first climb, as always, uh, with the tricky part in the in the houses. But then we go um, a little bit further than normal and we climb one of the climb we normally go down and this climb the top of this climb is around 1k to the final so you know it's really really short and really close by the final so yeah it should be really an aggressive race until the end to try to 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 break up so yeah, I think it's not going to be a bunch print like it could be sometimes. It should be or break, in my opinion, I mean, or a breakaway going to the end, or a solo rider, or a little bunch um, like with the best riders going in the last climb. Yeah, I think it's gonna be really exciting. I'm really, I'm really happy they changed this this um, this format because I think it was too long now that we were always seeing the same race. And even if women's cycling is super, super nice and super exciting, you know, when they changed the the format for the men, this race became really exciting. When normally Plouet for the men was super boring, so I think it was a good move from the organization and. Yeah, it's gonna be really nice. So, yeah, here are my souls. One of the things that really made the race was the weather, because the weather was terrible. It's Brittany. <laughs> and it was a, but it was an awesome race. It was really exciting. I mean, yeah, there's a big storm brewing at the Atlantic now. It's it's hitting the Netherlands and Belgium tomorrow, like on Wednesday when this podcast comes out. Storm Francis. So, well, Brittany is usually a little bit earlier than we are. So that was the storm. And the men, they raced in the afternoon and they had sunshine. How unfair of is course. that? Of course. How unfair is that? <laughs> Typical. <laughs> but it was, it, was, uh, it was the same course that they are now going to do for the road races uh, at the Euros, that 13.6K uh, loop. They start yep. with the women under 23 tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. And they do it four times. And I think the women do it like six times or something. Eight times, uh, yeah. Eight times even. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty long one. Okay. Yeah, they do 109K. So it's like the GP Plouet was 101K, I believe. And yeah, the, the European Championships will be eight eight laps of that course. So 109. That's going to be solid. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty crazy race. And this, I mean, the roads, anyone who watched the live coverage of GP Plouet saw that the roads are really small. Um, the, the descents are technical, the climbs are small. So it's really hard to move up on this course. And like, I mean, with the rain, it kind of made it all the more hectic. It kind of started off the beginning of the race was a little bit weird and it was neutralized at one point due to road surface, which is interesting. Um, but the racing really got underway after the 50 K to go Mark, it started off with attacks by Trek Segafredo and then the Polly Caw, the Swiss Swiss national champion who we were just talking about in the TT. She had a really long, long attack at one point, which was brought back by Taylor Wiles of Trek Segafredo. And 
it kind of all went a little bit hectic for a little bit. And then at one point, Lizzie Banks went up the road, followed by Lizzie Dagnan and Yip Van den Boss. The three of them were off the front until Yip Van den Boss on a descent kind of went a little bit too wonky in a corner and kind of clipped a wall. It looked like she was okay. It, I was, mean, a, it was a hedge, luckily, not a okay, wall. Okay, good, because one yeah. side was a wall and the other side you couldn't quite see. And I was watching and I was like, oh, no. No, 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 it was a hedge. It was a hedge. It was... But it did take her out of contention for the for the win, which was interesting because she was the Bulls Dolmans rider up up the up the road. At the same time, there was two pretty big crashes in the main bunch, which took out Anna Vanderbregen was stuck behind the first crash, and then the second crash happened just as she was not maybe making contact, but at least getting closer. And the second crash included Kashini Wadoma. Um, more of the Bulls Dolmans team, most of the Canyon Ram team. I saw Alice Barnes as well. So there was like, not many girls went down, down, but it did really hold up that. And that kind of like demolished what could have been a chasing Peloton, that second crash. And then it, it was sad because, you know, normally we have this little loop around Plouay with like attacks all over the place. And now we had a stable race situation for like 35 kilometers. So it kind of ended with a bit of a fib, I think. It was a little bit weird. Yeah. Because like for, for a little bit, it looked like maybe there was a chasing group that would bring back Lizzie Banks and Lizzie Dagnan after yet Vandenbos was not in the break anymore. It was just the two Lizzie's battle of the Lizzie's, both of them Brits, pretty funny. (laughs) Both of them from Yorkshire where it always rains. Hilarious. That's why they were off the front. They were like home. Um, Oh yeah. (laughs) And there was a chasing group behind, which did include, uh, uh, Annemiek Van Vluten, as well as her teammate, Gracie Brown. So there was like a pretty solid chasing group behind and Lisa Longa Borghini was in it along with Michaela Harvey from uh, New Zealand, Polly So she's Lizzie Banks teammate. And the two of them were doing such a good job of slowing down the chase. And then at one point the chase just sat up and got brought back because then it was a bunch kick for third place. But the race was won by Lizzie Dagnan, which is awesome because she's had some pretty bad luck so far this season, quote unquote, the new season versus the normal season. The new season, she's crashed in, I think, every race she's started so far, which is two races. I'm rambling. Somebody stop me. Some input, please. Well, it was, it was, it was her, fir- her third win, actually, 2015, 17, and now 2020. So she's a record holder, and um, her first win also since uh, the, the OVO uh, Women's Tour last year. And I was like, she was so incredibly happy with it that I, yeah. I just loved. I just loved seeing that. You know, she's she's won all all major things in her career, but it seems like since she became a mom, uh, she appreciates her wins even more. Mm. And I just loved seeing that the the, the pure, pure joy, also on the face of Lizzie Banks, who was who was always like lovely and and joyous and and talking about cats but um she was happy with with second place so all in all it was it was a great race yeah well, what it. a great ride by her though so yeah I mean, this is second to ride I, I, I remember a, a stage last year in Elsie Jacobs in Luxembourg where it was absolutely pouring down and I don't remember but that stage that she won in the Giro wasn't it raining that day as well last year all I remember about that stage is that the the moto sent them the wrong way Oh, mm. uh, <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> 
but yeah, I mean, for for Lizzie, it was a, Lizzie Dagnan. We have to say the the last name because both are both Lizzies. But be, for Lizzie Dagnan, it was a huge win, I think, especially because Trek Sigafredo hasn't had a ton of victories. Um, they've had a couple wins, yes, but it hasn't been super often for a team with such high, like a a such high caliber of riders. They really haven't had as many wins as you would think by looking at the names on the list. So for them, it was a huge deal that she won. And yeah, for her, I mean, it's definitely like, it's her first win in 2020. And also last year, she only won the Oboe energy tour and she won the GC. She, I can't remember if she won a stage and got to throw her arms in the air, but it's still, Still, yeah, she won a stage. Yeah, stage. so she's since she had her daughter Orla, she's been able to throw her arms in the air twice, and so it's a very yeah. special occasion, I think. I think the the funny thing is you can really tell apart, like like we know that it's ninety nine percent of people commentating are men, and sometimes countries have men commentating on women's races who basically don't want to be there. And you always know when they have no idea what is happening in the women's peloton if they say Elizabeth Dyckman. And it happens all the time. What I the funniest part is uh, when Bradley Wiggins talks about her on his the Brad Bradley Wiggins show or whatever his podcast is. He calls her. I don't even remember what her last name was before. Lizzie Armistead. Uh, Armistead. Yeah, he calls her Lizzie Armistead still. And every time he says it, I'm like, who? (laughs) It's really funny. Well, some some names happen pretty quickly with Lizzie Deitman, but I still have trouble with Chantal von der Broek Black. No, but that's brand new. She only got married in the off season. I was I was like once there was this entire Canadian team pursuit team um, from London, and then they came back to Rio. And I said on air when I worked at Eurosports, like, yeah, three of the four riders are new to the team, but three of them got married and had other names. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, no. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Oh, that's amazing. Was, I had no idea. I had absolutely, but it was still the same, same team pursuit, but they had all got married in, in those four years between London and Rio. You know, that and is a really <laughs> interesting thing for like w- that women in cycling, like that they have to think about that actually. Like, do I change my name? Because I've been, if they've had a career already, like for Lizzie Armistead Dignan, she had a career as Lizzie Armistead. And then what halfway through, she just had to change her name. And she was, she, she did a great job of it. I mean, I think for her, it was like, yeah, like I'm whatever. Um, but it is really, really funny that like there's some riders that get married in their career and then wait until they're retired to change their last name and sometimes you really have to pay attention like is this a new rider or is this a a new name yeah 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 especially when then like the lesser known riders that you oh there was a it was a horrible folk pile by the belgian commentator um at the european championships he started off like Omar Shapira is one of those riders, those one of those exotic riders you only see at the World and European Championships. And then Lisa Lott um, Delcroix, who's a former rider, says, well, well yeah, she's with Canyon Shram World Tour team and she just finished top 20 in Strada Bianca. And I was like, oh, God, please prepare yourself better when you do women's races. <laughs> anyway, so moving on into the next chunk of racing we kind of touched already on the european road race championships that's going to happen on thursday which is the small circuits for plue so anyone who wants to watch exciting racing tune in to that race do it it's going to be so good do it yes and then on saturday we have i'll let you know what time it is it's at 1 p.m oh good not, er- not as early as plue be- then 
No, no, the U23 men race in the morning on Thursday and the women race in the afternoon. Finish should be about half past three. I woke uh, up this morning so three, and I got 3 ready. 3.30 p.m. I got ready to go for a bike ride this morning and I was like, oh yeah, I'll just go for a bike ride and then, and then I'll watch Plue. And then I like looked at my phone and I was like, I wonder when it starts. It was like 9.30 and I was like, shoot. You did <laughs> as many... You did as many altitude meters on your morning bike ride, like 27K, that I do in like 1,200. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, wow. I get like on average like 30 altitude meters on my on my rides, which are between 70 and 100 kilometers. So. Yeah, but Tom's and I those, are up in those... Isola 2000, and you can either go up or down. Yeah, and then you true. have to go the other direction to get back. So next we have... LaCourse, which is a very controversial race. Lauren and I have been very vocal about how we feel about LaCourse. But we have LaCourse coming up. And too. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing is like, I actually have flipped my opinion of this race now that we've had the first couple races of the year. Mm. And I hope it does come down to a sprint. Yeah. Because we haven't had a sprint We haven't finish. had sprints yet. Yeah, the last sprint finish we had was the first stage of the women's tour down under. Yeah, and well, maybe the last uh, stage. Chamain was a sprint as well. Or no, a half a lance. The day after Umlo was a sprint. Mm. I covered that one. Was Lorena Vibis won it? Okay, cool. Yeah, so we had we've had a couple sprints, but we haven't had one in the new season. So I'm one. I'm kind of excited for the sprinters no, to be able to show off. It. Yeah, why not? Yeah, could be Bastianelli. It could be. It could be. And I think Chloe Hosking is actually a really good bet as well. She's actually, she's been here. Uh, she was at Isola where Tom's and I were. I saw her a couple times. And so she's been in Nice and she's ridden the course. So she knows it, which is interesting because a lot of the field will be coming from Plue and the European Championships and will be flying in late to the race. So it's going to be, I'm wondering actually if there's going to be any riders who skip it because it is a little bit more of a, of a flat, flatter kind of straightforward type course. And maybe we'll skip it in favor of training before the Giro. But with you saying that, Abby, I'm curious why. So like it was announced, what, around the 20th of July already, mm-hmm. there was discussion of the course and Anamique um, put on Twitter how she wasn't so pleased with the fact that it was so short and it was quite flat in her opinion, yet she's still going. I think for a lot of people, it's just like they want to race their bikes. So they're going to do whatever it takes. Like they're going to mm-hmm. do any race because yeah. also that's, we don't. That's what she told me as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Just just take everything that we can get now because she says we never know when it's going to stop. That's That's true. Because, yeah. yeah, what's currently happening at the moment, particularly in Belgium and everything, I think we discussed whether the classics would even go ahead. So, um, well, as yeah. the gold race is, is far from certain. I did a piece on the COVID regulations at the Dutch Nationals, and there was also a, a delegation from the Amsterdam gold race, which is in the province of Limburg in the south. And they had to, like, this was the big, biggest cycling event after the partial lockdown that we had Um so they, they came and, and watched and, and saw how everything... But, you know, a seven-kilometer course, you can close off. I had to show my badge like 125 times. But if you have yeah. the Amstel Gold Race, it's 200 kilometers of road. It's like, yeah. how are you going to... how you, I, uh, if it's, I don't think the Amstel Gold Race is going to happen. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know. Yeah, and there's a lot more races that are like that. So I think... 
I mean, I think like anyone who can will race LaCourse, but also yeah. it's, it's interesting yeah. because, because of the limited amount of racing and teams with kind of bigger rosters are in this really weird position where they're going to have some riders that aren't going to race at all in 2020. No. Yeah, it's looking that way, isn't it, for some, that you just haven't seen anything of them yet. Um, some people I know don't know what they're racing. Um, I guess the big riders on the team will take priority this year. Mm-hmm. Like the riders that can get UCI points will take priority. Exactly, exactly. And if you look at like younger riders, like uh, there's a young Swedish girl on Team Sunweb. She was a very promising junior, Vilma Olason. Yesterday was actually her first race of the year, the European yeah. Championships, but which she raced for Sweden. And of course, Eleanor Batch said she she broke her leg, so she hasn't raced a lot. But young riders have have trouble getting those race miles in, I think. And also, if you look at the team that I'm I'm working with, the next year racing team, this the Nationals were their first race back. They don't get invited to Strada Bianche or the Basque races or, you know, races like that. It's it, for the young riders. It's it's pretty hard because they they don't have a lot of time to show themselves and to prove that they need contract extensions. Ah, it's uh, it's a bad situation for everybody. But for young riders, it's it's even worse. Yeah, it's a tricky year. But um, I'm gonna hedge my bets on Chloe Hosking. Oh, I think that's a good bet. I'm going with Marta ah, Bastianelli. That's, uh, that's a, a good, good one. Bet. But I just, I reckon she's hungry, really hungry to step it back up again. Now let's see. I like her. I like her. I like to. I like to see her win, Kobe Hoskins, because she's always very happy. She's fiery. Yeah, she's savage. Yeah. <laughs> I'm do an interview with her as well to show the softer side then, apart from the savage sprinter character that she shows on air. Good luck with that. <laughs> I am going to go with uh, Emma Norsgaard, who just Ooh, won the Danish National Championship because she she did win a sprint in the in Valencia earlier this year, and yeah, by winning Correct. the the yeah. national championships in Denmark, I mean you'd have to be on good form. So yeah. that's my bet. Yeah, interesting. It's going to be well, like the first brother and sister pair on the world tour at Movistar. With Matthias and uh, Emma Norsgaard. It is really but cool. But we, wow. we had some other brothers. You had some brothers and sisters on the team at Rally, didn't you, Abby? Yeah, uh, Jillian Else and Nigel Else were teammates on Rally. But it's very uncommon. There's, there's tons of brothers on, on the same team. But brothers and sisters is pretty uncommon. Mm-hmm. I think also because there's just less teams that have men's and women's contingents. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. but even 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 sisters and, and brothers racing professionally, there's, yeah. there's not a lot of them. No. Elisa Longborgi had a brother, but he's quit a few years ago. So. Anyway, so that's all we got. We got more racing coming up. We'll be back. We'll probably convene after the course and talk a little bit pre-Giro, who to watch out for, what's going on with the Giro, stuff like that. You guys, thanks so much for chatting with me. Thanks for having us again. Yeah, it was my pleasure. (laughs) I look forward to talking about more women's cycling over the coming weeks and months, particularly the Giro. Hopefully we have, um, I'm always just fascinated by transfer season, so I can't wait to talk more about transfer season. (laughs) It's because it's gossip. It is gossip, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Us girls, we love our gossip, don't we? (laughs) Uh